Lynn Orlando, she leads our furnace, which is the pre-prayer time this in the mornings before service, and she has a word for us. Good morning. So the Lord, with the Sunday evening class and where we are as a church, the beautiful thing about being in the presence of God through worship and through the word is there's a transforming power. And so as we are learning to rightly divide the word of truth and we are learning about being in the word, there's a thing that happens how our image of how we see God is transformed and how we see ourselves. And the scripture says that we see in a mirror dimly. But the word I got this morning is there's a difference between seeing in the mirror dimly and seeing with distortion. And the Lord wants to heal a distorted view of how we see him and how we see ourselves. I don't know if you ever saw in the clown houses, the mirrors that are warped. And when we are learning to be in the word, his presence is there and there's a transforming power. So I thank you, Father God, that this is a muscle church with healed eyes that see rightly. Lord, as you teach us how to rightly divide the word of truth, you are teaching us how to see you first rightly. It's not a religion. It's not a work that we go into your word, but we are a people that long for your presence. Father, Abba, Father, we want your presence. We want to see rightly. Lord, as we open the word greater than ever before, Father, let us see rightly greater than ever before. Father, where circumstances have distorted our image of you, I see as, as his presence come, a carven image is going to break down carven images in our lives because he says no carven images and when in in the temple when a false god came and god came that false god dagon fell and so i thank you for an anointing father in your presence that breaks down the carven images of how we see you because of circumstances that breaks down the carbon images of how we see you because of religion or family upbringing. I thank you for your true image. Presence of God come into this place. Presence of God come into our homes as we break open the word, as we worship, as we drive in our cars. Father, where your word is, wash us by the water of your word. Healing, Father God, healing images. And then I see that there's a broken image in our life that he wants to heal by his presence. Father, for your true image on your sons and daughters. Son, daughter, you are beautiful to me, God says. In Colossians 1.22, it says that he brought you near to Christ. Listen, each individual here, listen, he brought you near to himself. Your holy God brought you near to himself by what Christ has done. And each person here, listen to this word. You are my son, you are my daughter, and I see you holy. I see you holy. That is your image. 
the God of all the universe, the Holy One of the universe says, I see you holy. I see you without fault. You are blameless in my eyes because of what Christ has done. Father, I thank you for the word today, washing us by the water of your word and the true image shining brightly, Father God. In Jesus' name, amen. So come and bless us. Okay, I want you to see the words, the God of more than enough is living inside of me. There is actually a name of God that is more than enough. And his name is El Shaddai. He says, I am the abundant one. This is the story in Genesis. The first time God calls himself El Shaddai is to Abram. Abram, before he becomes Abraham. Because Abram and Sarai have an impossible situation. See, Abram and Sarai tried to fix their problem. They tried to fix it by having Hagar come in and have a baby for them by the name of Ishmael. They tried to fix it in their own flesh. They tried to do the promise themselves, what God had promised them. They tried to take their own resources and get the miracle that way. I got to fix this. I got to make it happen. 13 years later, after Ishmael is born, God has not spoken to Abram or Sarai for 13 years. And then he shows up and he says to Abram, I have a name for you. My name is El Shaddai, the God that is more than enough. The God that says what you can't do for yourself, I can do for you. The miracle that you can't perform for yourself. You have no resources to make it happen. I can't do it for you. That's what the God who is more than enough that lives now inside of you. Because years later, Jesus came and he died on the cross. And he said, I'm sending my Holy Spirit to you. And everything that I am, the Holy Spirit is. And I am more than enough. See, every time we place situation in Jesus' hands, the two fish and the five loaves, he said, that's not enough to feed the people. But when you put it in my hands, I make it more than enough. More than enough. I am the miracle working God. And I'm telling you, the God who is more than enough is living inside of you. And he is for you. He is not against you. Say, I screwed it all up. I made the mistakes. I went out on my own. And the Lord says, guess what? I can redeem it. I can fix it. You can't fix it. I can fix it. Why? Because I am more than enough. And I'm living inside of you. You know, some of you are going through something. I don't know who you are, but as Pastor Lynn was up here sharing that, the Lord spoke to me and said, open up. I left my Bible in my office. Open up her Bible and read Deuteronomy 26, verse 8. And it says, the Lord, listen to this, it's the Lord, the almighty, all-powerful God, okay, has brought us out of Egypt with a mighty hand, with an outstretched arm, and with great terror suffered by the Egyptians with signs and wonders. He has brought us to this place that he has given us this land, a land flowing with milk and honey. 
Now, I want to just pray with you this morning. And who you're saying this morning, you know what? I need to speak this song. Put those words back up if you would, please. The God who is more than enough. How many of you need that this morning? Let me see your hands. Look around. Look around. You are not alone in this. God is for you. He's not against you. He's against your enemies. He's not against you. He's for you. And we're going to believe that God is able to do exceedingly abundantly above what we imagine or ask. Now, how many of you are asking for something pretty crazy? Okay. Turn to the person that has their hand up. Keep your hands up. Now, if you don't have your hand up, or even if you do, turn to the person next to you and tell them, God's going to do more than you can imagine or ask. Come on, speak it forth. God is going to do more than you can imagine or ask. God is able to do exceedingly abundantly above what we imagine or ask. Father God, we come before you right now that you are not an Im Im uh, a God that uh, uh, is intimidated by the impossible. You're not a God who is threatened by the impossible. You're not a God that is worried about the impossible because you are supernatural, which means you are above nature. And God, we acknowledge that right now. I just speak over our lives. God, every single person that has raised a hand, you understand what they're going through. And Lord, we just speak faith into their situation. God, let us not look at what we can see, but let us look to the invisible. Let us look to the invisible one, the one who made a way where there wasn't a way, the one who led the Israelites through the desert, through the Dead Sea, into the promised land, the land that is flowing with milk and honey. And Lord, I pray for each and every one of us this morning that God, you will take us by the hand. Lord, some of us, you're just going to take us by the hand and walk with us. Some of us, Lord, you're going to take us by the hand and drag us. But Lord, you will take us by the hand and you will lead us into your path Lord, your word says that the steps of the righteous are ordered of you. And God, we just ask that God, we may not be able to see where we're to put our faith, where we're to put our feet, where we're to put our hands, where to put our situations, but God, you do. And Lord, I pray that you would lead and guide your sons and daughters this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Hey, you know amen. what? The Lord says too, as, as I was praying this morning, it's piggybacking off of this. The enemy will not succeed. The Lord says the enemy will not succeed. The Lord says the enemy will not succeed. Some of you, you're starting to believe that the enemy is going to succeed. He is not going to succeed. Psalms 21:11 says, For they planned evil against you. They devised a plot, and they will not succeed. Somebody, that's a prophetic word for it. For you will make them turn their backs in defeat. You will aim your bowstring of divine justice at their faces. Be exalted, Lord, in your strength. We will sing and praise your power. Isaiah 8:10. Listen, all you, our enemies from far countries. Prepare yourselves for war and be shattered. Prepare yourselves for war and be shattered. Take counsel together, but it will come to nothing. Speak the word, but it will not stand, for God is with us. Job 5.12, God thwarts the schemes of the crafty so that their hands find no success. Psalms 33.10, the Lord frustrates the plans of the nations and thwarts all their schemes. The Lord is saying, the plans of the enemy will not succeed. The enemy will not succeed. So get up 
and stand in your authority. Get up and stand in your authority, in your authority in your family, your authority in your career, your authority in your finances, your authority in your marriage, your authority in your health, your authority in your ministry, your authority. Get up and stand in your authority because the plans of the enemy will not succeed. Okay, that's a word. Some of you, you got to let that give, give capacity inside of you for that word. You're going to walk out that word this week. When you have every evidence that the enemy appears to succeed, you will say the plans of the enemy will not succeed. The plans of the enemy will not succeed. I will stand in my authority through the power of the Holy Spirit. He has given me authority. He has given me dominion. Everywhere you place your feet. This is a word. I want you, those of you, some of you in this room, this is a almost like a very specific word for your life right now. And you need to, you need to embrace it, make it a part of you. Make it a part of you in this moment. I know you are for me. I know you are with me. The God of more than enough is living inside of every one of you and me. Come on, let's sing it. Come on. You say, I haven't seen my victory yet. Say, thank you, Lord, for the victory. I'm walking in the victory. My victory is nigh. My victory is coming. My victory is on the other side. The mountain is coming down. The mountain is coming down. Speak to your mountain. Speak to your mountain that it may be removed. It's time for the mountain to come down. Come on, give some thanks. The enemy hates when you give thanks, especially when you don't see it yet. Give thanks. Give thanks. Give thanks. We praise you, Lord. We praise you for that job. We praise you, Lord, for that healing. We praise you, Lord. We praise you, Lord, for that provision. We praise you, Lord. We praise you, Lord. We stand in our victory. We stand in our victory, Lord. We stand in the victory, Lord. This day, this day, this day, this day I stand. I stand in my victory. I will not fear. I will not fear. I will not fear. We praise you, Lord. We praise you, Lord. Come on, some of you. I can't do it for you. You got to do it. You got to give the enemy a black eye right now. Your news may have been bad this week. It's just the enemy with a smoke screen. It's the enemy trying to scare you off from your victory. Give the enemy a black eye with your praise. Say, my God is greater than the circumstances. My God is greater than the report. My, I will receive the report of the Lord that I am a victorious child of the Most High God. That's who I am. If I haven't yet experienced victory, then the 
story ain't over yet because that's the end of the story is my victory come on people come on people we've sung some sad tunes this week maybe we've sung some sad tunes to ourselves and the lord says come on i'm bigger than all of that i'm bigger than all of that exalt me exalt me i'm building your faith today exalt me be exalted el shaddai be exalted be exalted el shaddai the one who is more than enough we thank you lord come on thank you lord i want to hear you come on thank you lord thank you lord come on thank you lord we praise you lord you are real you are real you are here you see us open up your heavens lord heaven's gate is open jesus tore the veil just don't close your side open it up receive what he has lord we receive what you have today you're changing the minds of people right now. Even some of your enemies, the Lord is changing their minds, and they're not going to even know why. Their minds are changed. He, the Lord is going to give you favor. You thought that it was all signed off and done with. The Lord says, I'm going to give you favor, even with your enemies. Lord, we thank you, Lord. Come on, let's give us thanks. Give him thanks. Give him thanks. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. It's not pretend land. It's real. Hallelujah. 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 Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. I know you are for me. I know you are with me. The God of for your words we thank you Lord for your words we receive your words we believe your words we believe what you say we believe that you can do the impossible we believe Lord that you can do a miracle in our life in 2019, you are the miracle-working God. We thank you, Lord, in your name. Amen. Hey, this morning we're going to continue on in our series of Who Switched the Price Tags. And I want to talk to you about this morning about whose image are you made in? Are you made in your image or are you made in God's image? And I believe that the, the, the view of how we look at ourselves affects not just us but everyone around us. And it's interesting because I believe we're living in a culture that's really self-identity obsessed. 
you know, and I'm, I'm not a basher of technology, but, you know, part of it is, you know, when you're always doing this, you know, when it's all about you, you tend to lose the focus. It's not about you. Let me tell you something. I hate to shatter your world. It's not all about you. I'm really, I know, it's not about you. It's about what he wants to do through you to others. And I just want to thank Carolyn for ruining my sermon. Carolyn, where are you here? Thanks. You just hit like points, scriptures, topics. I mean, I, I told Lynn, I leaned over to Lynn. I said, well, don't have to preach today. You guys get out of here at 11.55. It's only 10.55, so I'm going to preach anyway. All right. But I want to talk to you this morning about self-identity because I believe that one of the things that is so important to us is you need to know who you are and you need to know whose you are. You need to know that you're just not this blob that has just kind of worked its way and you're here, but God has created you in His image and likeness. And one of the things that is, is really uh, uh, concerning me is that we as individuals have been created in the image and likeness of God, and we have culture telling us, we have politics telling us, we have religion, yes, religion even telling us, that you are not made in the image and likeness of God. And one of the things that is really interesting is, you know, there's a big difference between being religious and being Christian. You know that? Do you understand that? There's a lot of people that are religious but aren't really Christian, or maybe they're in the Christian religion because they're not a Buddhist, or they're not a Muslim, or not a Taoist, or not an atheist, but they're, they have a, a form of godliness, but deny the power. And one of the things that's interesting when you look at the, the contrast between what is religion and what is Christianity, religion is about following a form, following ritual. Christianity is about being in a relationship with a God that can speak to you at 9.30 on a Sunday morning about a situation you're going through. Christianity is about a God that is not some far-off distance God watching you and kind of like, ah, whatever, but He's active, alive, and in your life. There's a God that is concerned about you. And one of the things that, uh, that I love about the relationship that we have with the Lord is that He wants to live and move in you. Do you realize that? That because he's, you've been created in His image and likeness, He wants to have an impact in who you are as a person. He's just not something we do on one day of the week, and we kind of ignore him for the other six days, but he's someone that is involved in every area and aspect of our life. You see, one of the consequences we have about devoiding ourselves from being made in the image and likeness of God is we, we just don't lose our self-worth. We lose the perspective that God has on us, and it affects everything we do. Do you know that if, if I would stand up and in the morning... And I would look in the mirror, and I would say to myself, boy, you're fat, David. And I look in the mirror, and I keep telling myself fat. I'll start believing that. If I look in the, the mirror in the morning, I say, wow, you have great hair. You just have really good hair, you know? Simon was picking on me. Was it last week, Simon, you were here a couple weeks ago? He was like, wow, I didn't realize you had such nice silver hair. Or gray, I think you called it, didn't you? Something like that. You know, but if I, if I let my sideburns grow, they're, they're a little bit seasoned, you know? But whatever you tell yourself, you could actually start believing. Why? Because life and death is in the power of the tongue. And as you start speaking things to yourself, if you don't think you're made in God's image and likeness, you have to determine 
whose image and likeness are you created? Who are you? So some of the lies that we believe, our culture teaches us this, I am what I have. Therefore, you have to have certain nice things. You have to have a certain nice quantity. You know, I'm always amazed at people that have so much that they can't contain it in their home. They have to have single or multiple storage units to store all they have, but they still aren't happy in what they have. Amen or ouch? Okay? You know, it's, you are not the accumulation of what you have. You know, that is actually, the accumulation of what you have is called consumerism. And one of the things that we've been teaching our grandkids is they sit down and they watch cartoons even, is you need to have this next, this next toy in order to be happy. If you don't have this next toy, you're not going to be happy. And we teach them, what are they trying to tell you in that commercial? That you need to buy something. And if you buy something, you're going to have fun. And the interesting thing about commercials and advertising and marketing, there's nothing wrong with it. They're just trying to get their product across to you. But if you believe it, you will be in debt forever. You will never get out of debt. You'll never be a good steward. And that's a whole other sermon I want to talk to you about. But one of the things that is, is, is interesting, studies have shown that the more people buy things, the less secure they become. Because they then have to begin worrying about how they're going to take care of it. We had a friend in one of our churches that, you know, came into quite a bit of money. He asked the Lord to bless him financially, and the Lord blessed his business. And he started having all of these possessions because he had the wealth in order to do it. And he had a big home, and he had got a bigger home by the lake, and then he got a boat by the lake, and then he got uh, jet skis. And, and I remember talking to him, he says, you know, he's like rubbing his head all the time, like, I've got all these worries, I've got all these things, how am I going to pay for them all? Well, maybe you should have thought about that. Maybe you should have rented them. There's nothing wrong with having those things, but if they become the center of your universe and consume you, something's wrong with you. You know, I don't know if you ever watched the, the show American Greed. Anyone ever watch that? I like crime shows. My wife and I like crime shows. We watched one recently, and it was a story about a, a young boy, Alan Ruby, from a, a little town called Duncan, Oklahoma, that was a shopaholic. And he came from a prosperous family. They owned the newspaper business in town, and they, they did quite a bit of uh, work in the community. But he was an obsessed shopaholic. He could not stop buying things. And one of the things, this is one of the quotes he said. It's amazing. He says, there is no bigger rush than getting to the register at a store and swiping your credit card. And at that moment, you were waiting for the screen to say approved. You start to get heart palpitations, you start to get a rush of adrenaline. Really? Really? You know the rest of the story for him? On October 9, 2014, he stood in his living room and shot his mother and his sister in the head and waited an hour for his father to come home and shot him and killed him so he could get the family wealth. Let me tell you, if you only live for what you have, you will never have enough. Consumerism basically wants to feed something that is never satisfied. Another lie our culture tells us is you are what you do. Men, if I could pick on us for a time, that's usually the first thing men ask another man. So what do you do? What, what kind of work are you involved in? You know, let me tell you something. I and you are not just a sum total of what we do for our work. It's not, we are more than that. 
You know, you, are, you may be an electrician, you may be a plumber, you may be a businessman, you may own a company, but that is not who you are. That's just something that you do. It's a task you're involved in. And many times we get so uh, obsessed in the role and we allow our role to define us and the longer we're in a role, we find out that, that we have a little bit more difficult time separating ourselves from our role and what we do. That's why a lot of times when people have a job and they lose a job, they go through some sort of crisis experience because they don't know who they are. You are more than your job. You can lose your job today, and that doesn't define who you are. That may define what you spend your money on. It may define where you go during the week, but that is not who you are as a person. You are more than your job. Another thing that people tell us is, this is really a big one, I am what others say I am. Yeah, it sounds like a Dr. Seuss book, you know. Uh, but, you know, it's interesting. Parents, you've got to be careful what you tell your children they are. You've got to be careful about how you speak to your kids. You've got to be careful of the tone that you use in talking to or talking down to your kids. You know, parents, we, a lot of times we'll say things and we don't realize the long-term ramifications of it. We have teachers. We have peers. No one defines us. You know, I remember when I, I, I was, like I told you this in the past, I was like the town hellion. And when I came to faith, I remember going home, I was late for dinner, and I walked in and my mother says, where were you? And I said, I just gave my life to the Lord. Okay, now here you have a mom that was concerned about her son, who was a hellion, concerned about if he was going to make it to his next birthday, concerned about whether he was going to be a good person, and her response was this. That's great. You're late for dinner. Sit down. I don't want to talk about your religious experience. You know what she just did? Poured cold water on something the Holy Spirit wanted to do. Now, in her defense, she wasn't a believer yet. She was a religious person. She would go to church on a somewhat sporadic, regular basis. You know what I mean? They'd go to church every once in a while just to get a fix, and then they'd stop, and then go a little. You know, it wasn't until years later she actually came to a personal relationship with Jesus Christ that she said to me one day, I'm really sorry the way I treated you when you came to faith. You know, a lot of times our kids are, get excited about what God's doing, and we stand there and we pour cold water on them. Yeah. And then when they're hellions down the road, we're wondering why. Well, because you, you nurture them. You speak life into them. You don't speak death over your children. You speak life to them. You know, teachers can do the same thing. I've had teachers tell me, you will never finish this grade. Oh, Yeah. Well, you're long gone, and I'm still learning, you know? You see, you got to be careful what you allow people to speak into you. There is one that speaks into you, and that's the Lord. And a lot of times, you know, I'm not trying to tell you you should disrespect your parents if you're youth. But, you know, parents, we do, we've got to be careful we don't disrespect our children. We've got to be careful we don't speak something into them that we really don't want to see grow but yet we keep speaking it to them, and then all of a sudden they turn into that, and we're like surprised. Why? Because life and death is in the power of the tongue. Here's another big one, you know, that we are basically created, and our past will dictate what we are to be. You know? And, and if you think of your past, some of us, this is what we look like. We're running from our past. Never able to get away from it, but always running from it. It's always haunting us about our, our past. And, you know, a lot of times it's interesting that Scripture a lot of times is used, especially by religious people, to define us 
And I remember uh, before I was a believer, before I came to personal relationship with Jesus Christ, I had people tell me things about who I was. And they would use the Bible. Let me see your Bible, Lynn, because it's a nice-sized Bible. You know, I wish it was a pulpit Bible. That'd be even better, because then I could, like, smack you, and it would really hurt. But have you ever been beaten down by the Bible? People will use a, a scripture, and they'll try to keep you in your place with it, and they'll smack you with it, you know? The Bible, it's interesting because in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 9, 10, and 11, it's an interesting passage of Scripture because it tells us, or don't you know that wrongdoers will not inherit the kingdom of God? Don't you know that as a wrongdoer, you are not going to get into the kingdom of God? Smack you with the Bible. Do, you, do not be deceived, neither will the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who have sex with men, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkard, nor slanders, nor slenders will enter the kingdom of God. You know? And we're just like, oh man, if I've done any of those things, I'm not, I'm not going to get into heaven. Now, how many of you are guilty of at least one of those? Don't raise your hand. You know? We, we, we are more influenced by John Lennon and the lyrics of Imagine If There Was No Heaven then we're hoping that there isn't a heaven because we know that we've blown it and we are disqualified from entering into heaven. But thanks to God for His grace. Because, you know, if the Apostle Paul stopped there, that'd be pretty miserable. But look what he says in the very next verse, in verse 11. And that's what some of you were. How many of you were that? You can raise your hand to that. Past tense. You were that. He says, but... You have been washed. Carolyn, stealing my text, tell them about being washed by the Lord. You know, you're right on, by the way, this morning. I wanted to tell you that. If some of you aren't accustomed to people giving a prophetic word, that's what Carolyn and Lynn and I did this morning. We were speaking forth something that God's spirit was moving in a service, and it was, it was confirmed by the consistency of the, of the service, even the preaching of the word this morning. Carolyn, did you look at my notes? No. Lynn, did you look at my notes? No. But yet there is a consistent theme that God's trying to speak to us. He says, but you've been washed. You have been sanctified. You know what that means? That now means you are a holy person. You have been set apart. Sanctified means set apart. You've been justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. Aren't you thankful for that? Aren't you thankful that your past doesn't dictate what your future is? Your past doesn't dictate what you're, you're currently doing? You know, some of us, we did some pretty horrible things in our past, but the grace of God came in, and it transformed us, and it renewed us, and it cleansed us. The Apostle Paul was an amazing person because he was a very religious person. And if you study, you know, you come to our Bible study class, I'll te- we're going to teach you how to study the Word, but one of the things that Paul says... He says, you know, I lived a life as, as religious. I was as religious as they can be. I came from the tribe of Benjamin. I was a Jew of Jews. I had everything going for me. But one thing, he didn't know God. He didn't know the Lord. He knew a form. He had a religion. But then he says, then he came into the light. He had an encounter with Jesus Christ. He was knocked off his stallion, laid on the road. The presence of God surrounded him. And he says, no, who are you, Lord? Can you imagine this? I am Jesus who you persecute. Oh, man, I am really in deep doo-doo right now. (laughs) You know? And basically, he comes to faith. He comes to saving faith. And then he says this. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, this is a guy that wasn't in Christ but was religious. He says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, they're a new creation. The old has come, or the... uh, uh, 
the uh, new creation has come, the old is gone, the new is here. He also said in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 24, and we put on a new self created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. And then a parallel book to Ephesians, the book of Colossians, he says, and we have put on a new self which is being renewed in the knowledge, I love this, in the knowledge of the image of our creator. You see, God wants us to be transformed by knowing Christ and him knowing who we are, we then can walk in a new relationship with him. You know, there's a uh, French philosopher, Pascal Bruckner, said that being guided only by the lantern of our own understanding, the individual loses all assurance of a place, an order, and a definition of who they truly are. What he's basically saying, if you only judge yourself by what you tell yourself you are, you're, you're going to a dead-end street. And the truth of the matter is, Scripture tells us in 2 Corinthians 5.16, we, we never regard someone from a worldly point of view. That includes you. Do you realize that? You are not to evaluate yourself on what the world tells you. The litmus test, the principle that we base everything on, everything that we judge ourselves by has to be on God's word. It is, it is, it is a standard by which we live our life. And if you're not interpreting the word of God for who you are, not from a worldly point of view like 2 Corinthians says, but if you're not viewing yourself the way God views you, you're, you have a distorted self-image. And God wants to get you into alignment of what he thinks about you. You know, we, we do not live, and this is one of the problems I have. I don't know if any, anyone's in any AANA, SA, whatever they're calling them, but some of these programs where they keep telling you, hi, my name's David, I'm an alcoholic. Hi, my name's David, I'm a sex addict. Hi, my name's David, I'm a narcotics. You know, I don't appreciate those because that's not who I am. That's who you might have been. But when you start keep saying it over and over, you start believing it. And I understand the power of addiction. But I also understand the power of the cross to break addiction. That Jesus can set us free. You know, we talk about July 4th being Independence Day. Some of us need to have independence from our past. We need to be set free. And that's where the power of the gospel comes in. How do I know that? Because scripture tells us this. In Genesis chapter 1 verse 26. The first place in Scripture, we see the triune nature of God demonstrated. What I mean by that, we see God represented as God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. He says, and then God said, let us make man in our image, referring to the image of God the Father, in the image of Jesus Christ, in the image of the Holy Spirit. He says, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the sky, over the livestock and all the wild animals, and over all creatures that move along the ground. God has created us in his image and his likeness. Actually, the Hebrew word there that's used for the word uh, uh, image is, is, is a Hebrew word that's used 780 times. It is a word that is defined elsewhere in Scripture as soul. And God's word says that he's created us He's created our soul. In the New Testament, they use the word uh, psyche, which is where you get psychology, the study of the, uh, the, 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 the division of our body and our mind and who we are as a person. But what we're talking about here is we're talking about God created who we are. God created you just the way you are. All your idiosyncrasies, all those things, look at the person next to you and say, all those things that God created that annoy me, God created you. 
Those annoyances you have for one another, God created them. Now, is he working them out? Hopefully. Maybe he's working them out in the annoyances, the things that annoy you are the very characteristics you have, and you see them mirrored in someone else, and they really bother you. That's what my wife tells me. David, the things that annoy you and me are your fault. I'm like, yeah, you're right, they are. I'm OCD, and I can't stand this, or I can't stand that. And then the same thing in her. The things that annoy her about me are usually something the Lord's trying to work out in her. You see, we are created in God's image and likeness. And what it talks about here is he says, first of all, you're created in my image. That, that talks about who we are. An image of something, if I would draw an image here, if we're playing, you know, what's that, uh, the, the, uh, Pictionary, you know? I draw something, you have to identify it. If I did that this morning, we'd be here till like 6 o'clock because I'm a horrible drawer. But an image represents something. Whose image are you made in? You know? Whose image are you created in? Your free will, your emotions, your consciousness, all of that is created in the image and likeness of God. And you are not a physical being. You are contained in a physical body, but you are first and foremost a spirit being. You are a spirit man or a spirit woman. You are spiritual in nature. If you have a relationship with the Lord, you're creating His image. God is spirit, right? He doesn't have a, 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 a physical body. The physical body that He sent was through His Son, Jesus Christ. We see that at the water baptism. We see the heavens open up, a sound from heaven saying, this is my beloved Son in whom I'm well pleased. You see the Spirit of God coming down in the form of a dove, and you see Jesus standing there. It's the same, the same thing here. He's talking about the image of God. And then he says, not only are you created in my image, I love this, you're created in my likeness. Do you know that God's power flows through us? That we are made in the likeness of God in an inward way that you, we, you and I, we can attain holiness like Jesus had. We can attain the righteousness of God. Why? Because we're made in his image. We have the capacity for that. Do we fully embrace that? Some of us yes, some of us no. But it doesn't mean that we shouldn't strive for it. God wants us to be in him and in, in him, and he is in us. How do I know that? Look at Colossians chapter 1. It says, and the Son is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. God's Son, Jesus, had all the qualities, attributes, and everything that God the Father had embodied in a human body. Then he says, I will never leave you. I'll never forsake you. I'm going to go to heaven, but I'm going to send you the Holy Spirit who will always be with you. Aren't you glad you have the Holy Spirit with you? That you don't have to go to one location to meet God, run over here, and I can only meet God here because this is where Jesus was, and he was in a physical place in a physical location. But he says when the Spirit comes, he will lead you and guide you into all truth, including truth about yourself, including truth that you have been created in the image and likeness of God. And over the course of our lives, one of the things that we are constantly being molded and shaped into is in the image of Jesus. That's why when we come together, that's why Scripture says, hey, don't forsake the assembling of yourselves uh, together as the custom of some, but come together as a body. Why? Because iron sharpens iron. 
and we, we grow in our faith. We develop an understanding of who God is. Why, when we come together, something happens in the spirit realm. My spirit bears witness with your spirit, and as a result of that, we glow, grow closer to one another and closer to the Lord. You see, Jesus was the firstborn of all creation. Is he the lastborn? No. He was the firstborn. And one of the things that is interesting, when we only identify ourselves by what our culture says or by what we do or by what we have or by what others say, we fall very short of what God's perspective of us is. There's a, a Canadian psychologist, uh, his name is uh, D- David Brenner. I read part of his book. I haven't read the whole book. He calls, it's called The Gift of Being Yourself. And he talks about in this book about how we define ourselves by our job, our finances, our status, you know, uh, by our grades, if we're in school. All, he defines all these things, and he says, we use all these criteria to define ourselves. And then he goes on, and he says, but what happens when we experience failure? What happens when you lose favor? What happens when you lose a job? What happens when you get burned out on your job because you're working too many hours because you're trying to prove yourself that you are important because of your position? He says, what happens when we get into a situation where we're no longer in a stable place, then if you define yourself by these other things, you're never satisfied. There's always something rocking in the relationship. And he goes on later in his book, and he says this. This is really interesting. He says, an identity that is grounded in God would mean that when we think of who we are, the first thing that would come to our mind is our status as someone who is deeply loved by God. You see, when you understand that you have been fearfully and wonderfully made, when you understand that you're made in the image and likeness of God, when you understand that God is not this God up there waiting for you to do something wrong to just to pound you into submission, but he's a loving, compassionate God, it changes the way you view yourself. Do you know when you come into contact with someone that you know loves you, you don't have to be guarded. You know, but if you're walking down the street late at night and some big guy steps out in front of you, every every fiber of your being goes into defense mode, and that's the way some of us view God, that He's up there just waiting to pound on us. When the truth of the matter is, He is a good God that loves you very immensely. He is a good God that cares for you, and when you walk in the knowledge of His love, it changes your perspective, not just of God but of yourself. Here's a passage of scripture I want us to look at. This is probably one of the most profound passages to help us understand the way God sees us and the way we look at ourselves. So how does God see you? Look at the book of Ephesians chapter 1, starting at verse 3. It says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us. Wow. The Lord Jesus Christ, God the Father, has blessed us in Jesus Christ, with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realms. Do you know that God wants to bless you with every spiritual blessing that is in heaven? Do you know that? Three of you. The rest of us we're working on. God wants, do you realize that? God wants you to walk a blessed life. What is a blessed life? A favored life. A blessed life is the presence of God coming into your situation despite the circumstances and knowing that God is with me. Didn't we sing that this morning? You know, are we really what Charles Wesley said? Christians are actually liars? Do you know Charles Wesley said that? He says because we sing songs but we don't really mean them. Didn't we just sing, he is more than enough? 
Didn't we just sing that he is for me, he's not against me? Didn't we just sing about the goodness of God, but yet we don't really believe it? Because we've got to get from up here to down here. And when it gets embedded down here, it, it goes through the rest of our body and transforms up here. Then he says this, For he chose us in him before the foundation of the world to be holy and blameless in his presence. Before the world was created, God's desire for you was to live a holy life, live a blameless life. Now your past may have taken you on a course that you got derailed, you got sidetracked, but Paul said you've already been washed. The same author of Ephesians wrote Corinthians, and we've been washed, we've been cleansed. That is no longer who we are if we're in Christ. He says as a result of that, we can walk blameless in his presence. In love, I love this, he predestined us to be adopted as his sons through Christ Jesus, according to the good pleasure of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace, which he has freely given to us in the beloved one. Do you realize you're adopted? You know what an adoption is? An adoption is someone outside of your biological family of origin that embraces you as part of their own. So if you have been adopted, I don't know how many of you have been legally adopted by a, a, in, a, in a courtroom situation, but if you would go through the legal adoption process, you renounce any other family and you're now brought into a new family. God has adopted each and every one of us. You know what that means? That means that he loved you enough to include you in his family. He loved you enough to embrace you and bring you part of who he is. And then it says in verse 7, in him... We have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace that he lavished on us. What does lavish on, on you mean? All grandparents know what that verse means, right? Because as a grandparent, th there is no no in your, in your definition when you're talking to your grandkids. Parents, they get upset. Grandparents, you just forget. Why? Because you're pouring out. Like our kids are out in, in, the, in the, the yard today. They're going to come in. They're going to be drenched. That's what God does. He just pours out. He lavishes upon us all of his goodness, all of his wisdom, all of his understanding. And then in verse 9, he says, And he has made known to us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure. Do you know God's desire is to allow you to understand the mystery of his will? So many times people want to know what the will of God is for their life. Ephesians tells us God wants to give that to you. He wants you to understand what the mystery of his will is. And he says not only that, he says, look, at, look what it says in verse 10. And as a plan for the fullness of time to bring all things in heaven and earth together in Christ. So he is bringing heaven and earth together. There is, that's why we talk about an open heaven. We talk about God's presence coming in. Because God is bringing all the truth of heaven into the truth of where we're living in earth. And they're, they're merged together. And he says, as a result of that, one of the things that we have is we have wisdom and understanding of what God's plan is. And then in verse 11, he says, and in him, I love this, we are chosen as God's own. Remember Toy Story? Big claw coming down, and the little guy's jumping around. Choose me, choose me, choose me. God has chosen you. He chose you before you chose him. You think, well, I chose the Lord. I chose to follow. No, the Lord chose you before you were born. He put a mark on you. He put his hand upon you. You may never even have noticed it, but God was working through people and situations and circumstances to get you to a point where you could say, 
I surrender all. I don't know how I do it, Lord. I can't do it. If you're not with me, Lord, I can't do it. He goes, wait, vey, I've been waiting for you from the time you were born. What is wrong? Some of you, you're not too bright. You're not the sharpest knife in the drawer, but you're not the dullest. But I tell you what, the Lord has still got his hand on you. And he had his hand on you before you thought about it. And his truth is, is this about God. He predestined us according to his plan. And I love this. Who works out some things. Is that the way we read it? You know, we read, oh, God only works out some things. Some things I have to take care of because I am in control. No, you're not. I hate to tell you, you're not in control of your destiny. He is. You're, you're called to be obedient. You're called to surrender to him. You're called to say, Lord, not my will, but yours be done. He says he works out everything by the counsel of his will in order that we, who are the first to hope in Christ, would be the praise of his glory and in him, having heard and believed the word of truth. You see, there's a difference between hearing and believing. I know a lot of people that have heard the gospel that don't believe it. I've sat around people that could parse the original language, and they could tell you what the word meant in the Greek and the Hebrew and the Aramaic, and they could tell you where the, the, the geographic location of where this was written, and they could tell you all the arguments, but they don't believe. You see, there is something about believing Believing is incorporating that into who you are as a person. And he says this, they believe the word of truth. What is the word of truth? The gospel of your salvation. You were sealed with the promise of the Holy Spirit. I love that. The Holy Spirit sealed us. We're hermetically sealed by the power and the anointing of the Holy Spirit to do the will of God. Aren't you glad that he seals you? And when he seals you, nothing can get in there unless you break the seal. But God sealed us by the power of his Holy Spirit, who is the pledge of our inheritance. Man, I've got an inheritance. I've got an inheritance. Do you have an inheritance? Aren't you glad you've been adopted into his family? Remember the first part of this verse? We're adopted into his family, and as a result of that, we have an inheritance. When? Until the day of redemption of those who are God's possession to the praise of his glory. Wow, Paul writes this passage And he's addressing a church that's living in a pagan culture. He's addressing a church that was living in where there was a temple of of Diana or Artemis. It was a a pagan goddess, a, a sexual pagan goddess temple in the town. And he says, you have been sealed, protected from all of that garbage around you. Don't let the culture tell you who you are. Let me tell you who you are. Let me tell you the promises I've made. Let me tell you that you are pure. You're blameless. You're forgiven. You, you can have all the wisdom of God. That's who God says we are. But you know the thing we do? We place obstacles in front of ourselves. We place these huge boulders that block us from walking the plan and, and purpose God has for us. And a lot of those things are self-imposed because we think we have to figure it out. We don't want to surrender to the Lord. We don't want to yield it over to the Lord and trust Him. And one of the problems is that when you have these false belief systems, it really jacks up your understanding of the Word. That's why it's so important. That's why I wanted to teach this class on how to study the Bible. Because I want you to be able to rightly divide the Word of Truth. I want you to be able to sit down with your Bible open it up, read it, understand it, be able to communicate it to others, and not, not go, huh, I, I don't know what it means. Yeah. Do you know the Spirit of God lives in the written Word? Yeah. And that Spirit of God wants to dwell and live in you? 
He wants you to be transformed by the renewing of your mind. He wants the word to get in you and you get in the word. There's this symbiotic relationship between you and God's word where you're connected to one another and you're grown into one another so that when you're pressured with life, you don't fall back onto your old way of thinking, but you have a transformation of your mind. And you say, oh man, all things work together for the good of those who love God. Well, this is an exception to that because this, no, all things the word there in the original language is pan. It means everything, all-encompassed. Everything works together for the good of those that love God and are called according to his purpose. Even bad things. Do you hear me? Even bad things that happen to us work together if we're called according to his purpose. And one of the things that God wants to do is he wants to come in and allow you to walk in his light. He wants you to walk in the truth of who he is. He wants you to walk and say, you know what? I'm going to come against those things. Some of you are living in bondage when Christ says, I've set you free. Some of you are living under oppression when God says, I've covered you with grace. Some of you are living with worry, and he's saying, cast all your cares upon me. We need to be walking in what God's word says about us, not our situations or circumstances. And living out our identity in Christ, it's transformational. It's not, it's not like this. It's, honestly, it's not that hard. If you have the faith of a child, you'll believe. So you tell your kid after service, we're going to McDonald's and have ice cream. There might not even be a McDonald's nearby, and your kids are going to say, oh, I believe. You said it. I believe it. Why can't we be that way with the Lord? You know, the Lord said it that we should believe it. It's clearly written through his word. We saw Paul, through his different writings to the different churches, say the same thing over and over and over, and yet we as 21st century Christians go, oh, that's really not what he meant. No, it is what he meant. We just don't have the faith to believe it. We need to get rid of those obstacles. So what do you do when you have false belief systems? Many of us have belief systems that aren't true, because the, in, in, the, in the scripture, it says, repent and believe. Repent means to turn. You're walking one direction like this, and when you have a moment of repentance, you come to a crisis point, you stop, you turn, and you go the opposite direction. Yeah. So some of us, we're challenged. I hope, I hope this word this morning is challenging you on your thinking, because some of us need to have a repentance in the way we think. Because what we want to do is we want to be transformed by the word. We just don't want to sit here and, and kind of sit in service, all, all service, and just go, uh-huh, uh-huh, and then leave and act the same way. We have to be transformed by the renewing of our mind. So if you're in a situation where you're saying, you know, Pastor David, I, I, I've had, I have made some bad thinking. I have some thoughts that are, are false. This is what you need to do. You need to ask Jesus to come in and show you where there's error in your thinking. Right now, just ask the Lord. Lord, is there error in the thinking that I have in regards to who I am and who you say I am? See, I'm naive enough to believe if you ask the Lord, he'll talk to you. And then once you do that, you say, okay, now, what lie have I believed, Lord? What lies have you believed about yourself that God hasn't spoken over your life? You got it? Now renounce it. Say, Lord, I stopped believing that lie. I stopped believing that lie of who I say I am 
because I want to believe who you say that I am. That I come to you right now, Lord, this morning, and I just say, Lord, take those, those that, that stinking thinking out of my brain and put the word of God in. Let me see where you are in this situation. And then, Lord, help me. And this is what we do. The third thing is we, we declare it. We believe it. We say, Lord, and we speak it. We, Lord, I speak right now that my mind would be transformed by your word, that my mind would be transformed, that some of my thoughts, some of the things I've been saying about who I am that aren't in alignment with your word, Lord, I'll stop right now. And that, Lord, we will, we will be uh, replacing those things that we once thought were truth, but you exposed them as error, that we will no longer allow those to dictate who we are. Now, that seems really simple, right? But that's all we have to do. And now you have to start to walk in it. And you have to walk in it. You know, walk in the situation that God's given you. Because according to 2 Corinthians chapter 10, it says, Though we walk in the flesh, we're not waging war to the flesh. But the weapons of our warfare are not of flesh, but are of divine power to destroy strongholds, to destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised up against the knowledge of God and taking every thought captive to obey Christ. So when we're looking at this, what we are called to do, we're called to wage war. What does that mean? We're going to fight with every ounce of our being. As a parent, if someone tried to pull your son or daughter out of your arms when they were a little kid, you would fight with every ounce of being to protect that child. Let me tell you, God wants us to fight a war, not in the flesh, but in the spirit. And he says, what we will do, we will tear down strongholds. What is a stronghold? A stronghold is a fortified prison. Some of us, our minds have been locked up with bad thinking for so long, we can't even get truth in there. And when we hear truth, we're like, that's a lie. Why? Because we've listened to our culture for so long. We stopped listening to the word. Well, I know the Bible says this, but anytime you do that, you are diminishing the power of the gospel to have control in your situation. And what he says is we will destroy strongholds, destroy arguments. He says, and destruction basically means to raise them, to just flatten them, to pull in with a bulldozer and just crush them. And, and take every thought captive. He says, we're going to take our, our, our arguments that are having. What are arguments? Well, I know God's word says this, but this is what I'm experiencing. So I'll let my experience supersede the truth of God's word. I mean, we don't say that out loud, but that's what we do, right? Sometimes we do say it out loud. We start believing it. And God says, I want to just destroy all that. I want to have that opinion that a person has about who I am, that whatever it is. And he goes, he says, even those lofty opinions. Well, actually, the Bible doesn't mean that. It means this. Well, if you rightly divide it for yourself, you'll understand what it means. And God's word says he wants to take every thought captive. Do you hear me? Not some thoughts of who you are, but every thought. Some of us, we need to go back and erase the tapes of what our parents said to us, erase the tapes of what we've said about ourselves, erase the tapes of what teachers have said about us, erase the tapes of what family members have said about us, and we need to reprogram ourselves to hear the Word of God. Because you know what God's Word says about us? It says amazing things, you know? You, do you think about viewing yourself the way God views you, you know? Think about it. These are, I'm going to go through 460 verses in Scripture. Only kidding. <laughs> Two or three people are laughing. The rest are like, he's serious. 
Listen to what scripture says, who you are. You're a child of God, Galatians 3.26. So in Christ Jesus, you are all children of God through faith. Aren't you glad you're God's ch child? Aren't you glad you can say, I'm a child of the most high God? That you may be an orphan as a family, you may not know your biological family, your biological family may have rejected you because of your faith, but you were a child of God. Not only are you a child of God, scripture says this, he says you are also, I love this, you are Jesus' friend. You know, some of us, we think Jesus is just waiting for us to do something wrong, smack us down, you know? But he says, you are no longer call yourself servants because a servant does not know the master's business. Instead, I have called you friends for everything I learned from the Father, I love this, I have made known to you. Do you know that God the Father has vast wisdom? Jesus came to earth and walked the earth, and he says, I will give you the Holy Spirit who will lead you and guide you into all truth. Do you know God wants to download all the wisdom of God the Father through the Holy Spirit to you? Do you realize that? As a friend, you know, as I have friends, and friends know a lot about me. Why? Because we've spent time together. And the longer you spend time with Jesus, the more closeness you're going to have to him, the more intimacy you're going to have with him. And he wants to just pour his, his friendship and his love into you. Not only that, we've already read it in 2 Corinthians 5, 17. You're a whole new person. The old things pass away. What you used to be is what you used to be. What you are right now, you're a new creation. Basically, it's talking about a substantive change in who you are as a person. God's word declares to you that you are a completely new person in Christ Jesus. You may look the same, but I'll tell you what, on the inside, you've all been renewed. You've been transformed. You've been cleansed. You've been washed. You've been set free. All of those things that God's words declare is what's happening. And you know why? Because God's spirit is living in you. The spirit of the living God who transformed the same spirit, the Ruah in the Old Testament, the Numa in the New Testament, is the same spirit of God that wants to dwell in you. And when he dwells in you, he cannot help but transform you. Amen. You know, he's the ultimate interior decorator. He gets inside of you and he transforms you from the inside to the out. And the old things, that's why the old passes away. Because you have the spirit of God. He says, don't you know... Your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. The original word there for temple is the word naos. It is a word that defines the holy of holies. It's the place where the spirit of the living God dwelt. He says, don't you know your body is the temple of the spirit of God? He dwells and lives in you. Now, if the spirit of God lives in you, he's going to transform you, right? This is good. You should be blessed by this. You, you should experience the favor of God in all areas. You know why? Because you're God's artwork. You know? God created a masterpiece. Look at the person next to you and say, wow, you are God's masterpiece. Go on. Mean. Ah, 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 ah. Say it. Say it. I, I caught you. <laughs> Do you know that God created you as a piece of artwork? You know, the beauty of artwork is no two pieces are the same. God's design, he created in you this incredible thing. Look, he says, aren't you God's handiwork? Created in Christ Jesus to do good works? Do you know you have been created to do good works? God created you 
before the time of creation, before you were even a twinkle in your mom or dad's eye, God created you to do good works. And he says, not only that, he says, you're spiritually alive. Look at Ephesians 2.5. You have been made alive in Christ. Even though you were dead in your transgressions, how many of you were dead in your sin? You were dead in your sin, but Christ came in and made you alive. And he says, it's by grace you've been saved. And by that grace, because you've been saved by grace, you're now a child of heaven. You are a son and daughter of the Most High God, but you're also a citizen of heaven. So your citizenship changes your relationship with the culture you live in. That's why as believers, we don't allow culture to dictate to us because you may have a, a residency in this, this country, but you are first and foremost a citizen of heaven. You may have a passport, you may be here legally, you may be here illegally, but you know what? It doesn't matter because you're legally a citizen of heaven. That's where your home is. That's where your citizenship is. Now, you may have affinities or loyalties to a country, but your citizenship is in heaven, and you re respond to that. You respond, and you eagerly await the Savior who resides over that kingdom. Not only that, you're a messenger of God to this world. God has put in you his word to share with other people. He has given you the power of the Holy Spirit so you'll be his witnesses. Where? In Morgan Hill, in San Martin, and Gilroy, and South San Jose, and California, and the United States, and to the ends of the world. God is putting his word in you so that you become a messenger for him. You become a, vo a, vo a voice of God to the people around you. And as a result of that, when you become a voice of the people of, uh, of, of word of God, the people around you, then you become a disciple maker. You become someone who says, you know what? I've experienced Christ. I know who he is living in me. Then I can communicate to other people what it means to be a follower of Christ. That's why the Great Commission in Matthew chapter 28, verse 19 says, go and therefore make disciples. Why? Because you have already experienced it. You have been trained up in the ways of the Lord, and you become a discipler. And here's something else. I love this verse in Scripture in Matthew chapter 5, verse 13. You know, we are salt to the world. Do you ever get salt in a cut? Really enjoyable, you know? Maybe you have a little cut in your foot, and you go to the beach, and all of a sudden you're in the water, and the salt water hits it, and it's like, ugh. To the world around us that does not know Christ, we're an offense. And it's, it, don't take it personal. It's just your citizenship. <laughs> you're going to offend people just by the fact that you're a believer. And the funny thing is, the, the people that may have been your closest friends, as soon as you come to faith, they're going to pick you apart because they don't like your citizenship. They don't like your allegiance. They don't like your alliances that you've now made with the Lord. They don't like the fact that you are now salt exposing some of the things in their life, sometimes not even by saying it, but just by being who you are. I mean, I've had friends that when I came to faith just turned away and didn't want anything to do with me anymore. I had family members that they were fine when I was a hellion. But once I became religious, once I came to faith, they didn't want anything to do with me. Why? Because we're salt. And salt has two characteristics. It preserves, but it also stings when it gets into a cut. And one of the things that we're called to be is we're called to preserve our culture, but also to address some of the issues in it. That's why we're doing this whole series. Because I don't want you to believe the lies our culture is telling us. 
because there is a whole bunch of garbage out there right now that our culture is telling us who we are and what we are and what we aren't when the truth of God's word is being uh, silenced. And God wants you to know this. You are the light of the world. Worship team, come on up. Matthew says that we are the light of the world and a light is not to be hid under a bushel, but a light is to be exposed and to be put in a high place so it can show forth its light to everything around it. And here's one of the, the amazing things about God, God's working in us. When you and I are walking as light, when you and I are walking in the truth of God's word, we actually dispel darkness. Pastor Lynn talked about this last week. We become something that by the very virtue of who we are, by the virtue of Christ in us, there's something about us that just shines forth. I don't know if you ever walked up to someone and you're having a conversation with them and all of a sudden it's like, are you a believer? Yeah, I am. Why? Well, it's just something about you. Your presence is just illuminating. You know, when they walk into the room, it's just there's something about them. You know what it is? It's the presence of the Spirit in them. And one of the things that God wants you and I to be is people that go into a culture and don't allow the culture to snuff out our light. It does, don't allow the culture to snuff out who we are. Don't allow the culture to snuff out who God said you are. We need to be powerful men and women. That's why we will be always people of the word. You're not going to come to this church and hear a five-minute sermon with one scripture verse and then everything else. You're gonna, we're going to pack you full of the word. I want you walking out like Jabba the Hutt, full of God's word. I want you to waddle out of here so much that you're like, wow, I, I, my brain hurts because he's been preaching all these scripture verses. I'm not used to reading that many verses in a week. And he packed it all in a 50-minute sermon. I want you to be people who rightly divide the word of truth. I want you to be strong. I want you to be fed on steak, not on milk. There's a lot of places you can get milk, but I tell you what, we're going to be a steakhouse. We're going to be a place that gives you, and if you're vegan, we're going to serve you the best, highest protein uh, tofu you could imagine. We're going to pack you full so that you're going to get your protein fix because we want you to be strong in the Word. Amen? Father God, I thank you that we can come to you this morning as men and women of faith, and I pray that God we would no longer listen to what the world tells us, no longer listen to what we have told ourselves. But God, we would become men and women of your word. I pray that, God, we would see that we are more than conquerors in Christ Jesus. I pray that, God, we can say that, God, we are sons and daughters of the Most High God. I thank you that, Lord, we can walk in the assurance of knowing that you are with us. You don't abandon us. You don't forsake us, but you were always with us. I thank you, God, that we are called citizens of heaven. I thank you, God, that we are your friends. I thank you that we are children of yours. I thank you, God, that we are new creations in you. I thank you, God, that you've given us your Holy Spirit and you've filled us with all of the wisdom of heaven. And God, I pray that that would just flow from us as sons and daughters, God, that we would demonstrate the love of God the Father to everybody we come in contact with. And Lord, I pray that we would just walk in the truth of who we are. In Christ's name we ask, amen. We have prayer teams available if you would like prayer after service on both sites here. Some of you, while we were just praying here, quit trying to fit in to the world. You don't fit. Quit trying to fit into the world. You have a place. You have a place, and your place is in the kingdom of God. 
And so quit trying to fit in. Some of you walking out of this door, you try to fit in. You're going to go to some barbecues. You're going to try to fit into family members that are not serving God and they're talking a little foul, using a little. Come on, quit trying to fit in with them. Shine your light. Bring the life. Bring the life to them. Bring the life to them, okay? You, I'm going to pray over you. You're going to be, some of you are going to be traveling, vacation. I know this is a big vacation week. I'm going to pray protection over you as you drive. And, and just as Pastor David said, you are called to be a light bearer. You are called to be salt to wherever God is placing you. So don't try to fit in. Be salt. Let's bow our heads. Father, we commit to bear your image. We commit to be your children. This world doesn't need more death bearers. They need light bearers. Lord, they don't need people who have agreement with their despair. They need people who can bring healing and life and truth and freedom. And Lord, you have given that to us. We are new creation. So as we go out, and as we have the July 4th holiday, and there's lots of travel, a lot of barbecues, and time spending with friends and family and neighbors, Lord, may we bear your light. There are people who are hungry to know the truth. They are in despair. Down deep inside, they're hurting badly. They may have a great front. They may have a great front, especially when they have a beer in their hand. But, Lord, they are in despair, and they don't know answers, and they have battles going on, and they feel defeated. And, Lord, you are sending people from this church, from this house, to them to bear light to give your love, to show that there are answers in Jesus. And Lord, may we not be fearful. May we be fearless. Lord, may we not try to fit in. May we go, Father, loving people and showing them the contrast of how you can live. So Lord, go with us. Lord, protect those who will be traveling. Protect them. Father, as they travel on the highways and on the streets, Lord, and then bring us back together with great testimony of what you're doing through us. In your name, amen. God bless you. There's a, there's a teaching tonight at 530. Don't forget that if you're part of the class, but have a great week. Have a great holiday. If you need prayer, come down and receive that.